Chapter Twenty of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty From Without and From Within. There were not wanting people who accused Dudley Venner of weakness and bad judgment in his treatment of his daughter. Some were of opinion that the great mistake was in not breaking her will when she was a little child. There was nothing the matter with her, they said, but that she had been spoiled by indulgence. If they had had the charge of her, they'd have brought her down. She'd got the upper hand of her father now but if he'd only taken hold of her in season. There are people who think that everything may be done if the doer, be he educator or physician, be only called in season. No doubt, but in season would often be a hundred or two years before the child was born, and people never send so early as that. The father of Elsie Venner knew his duties and his difficulties, too well to trouble himself about anything others might think or say. So soon as he found that he could not govern his child, he gave his life up to following her and protecting her as far as he could. It was a stern and terrible trial for a man of acute sensibility, and not without force of intellect and will, and the manly ambition for himself and his family name which belonged to his endowments and his position. Passive endurance is the hardest trial to persons of such a nature. What made it still more a long martyrdom was the necessity for bearing his cross in utter loneliness. He could not tell his griefs. He could not talk of them, even with those who knew their secret spring. His minister had the unsympathetic nature which is common in the meaner sort of devotees, people who mistake spiritual selfishness for sanctity, and grab at the infinite prize of the great future and elsewhere with the egotism they excommunicate in its hardly more odious forms of avarice and self-indulgence. How could he speak with the old physician and the old black woman about a sorrow and a terror which, but to name, was to strike dumb the lips of consolation. In the dawn of his manhood he had found that second consciousness for which young men and young women go about looking into each other's faces, with their sweet, artless aim playing in every feature, and making them beautiful to each other, as to all of us. He had found his other self early, before he had grown weary in the search, and wasted his freshness in vain longings. The lot of many, perhaps, we may say of most, who infringe the patent of our social order by intruding themselves into a life already upon half-allowance of the necessary luxuries of existence. The life he had led, for a brief space, was not only beautiful in outward circumstances, as old Sophie had described it to the reverend doctor, it was that delicious process of the tuning of two souls to each other, string by string, 
not without little half-pleasing discords now and then when some chord in one or the other proves to be overstrained or overlax but always approaching nearer and nearer to harmony until they become at last as two instruments with a single voice something more than a year of this blissful doubled consciousness had passed over him when he found himself once more alone alone save for the little diamond-eyed child lying in the old black woman's arms with the coral necklace round her throat and the rattle in her hand he could not die by his own act it was not the way in his family there may have been other perhaps better reasons but this was enough he did not come of suicidal stock he must live for this child's sake at any rate and yet oh yet who could tell with what thoughts he looked upon her sometimes her little features would look placid and something like a smile would steal over them then all his tender feelings would rush up into his eyes and he would put his arms out to take her from the old woman but all at once her eyes would narrow and she would throw her head back and a shudder would seize him as he stooped over his child he could not look upon her he could not touch his lips to her cheek nay there would sometimes come into his soul such frightful suggestions that he would hurry from the room lest the hinted thought should become a momentary madness and he should lift his hand against the hapless infant which owed him life in those miserable days he used to wander all over the mountain in his restless endeavor to seek some relief for inward suffering in outward action he had no thought of throwing himself from the summit of any of the broken cliffs but he clambered over them recklessly as having no particular care for his life sometimes he would go into the accursed district where the venomous reptiles were always to be dreaded and court their worst haunts and kill all he could come near with a kind of blind fury which was strange in a person of his gentle nature one overhanging cliff was a favorite haunt of his it frowned upon his home beneath in a very menacing way he noticed slight seams and fissures that looked ominous what would happen if it broke off some time or other and came crashing down on the fields and roofs below he thought of such a possible catastrophe with a singular indifference in fact with a feeling almost like pleasure it would be such a swift and thorough solution of this great problem of life he was working out in ever-recurring daily anguish the remote possibility of such a catastrophe had frightened some timid dwellers beneath the mountain to other places of residence here the danger was most imminent and yet he loved to dwell upon the chances of its occurrence danger is often the best counter-irritant in cases of mental suffering he found a solace in careless exposure of his life and learned to endure the trials of each day better by dwelling in imagination on the possibility that it might be the last for him and the home that was his time the great consoler helped these influences and he gradually fell into more easy and less dangerous habits of life he ceased from his more perilous rambles 
he thought less of the danger from the great overhanging rocks and forests they had hung there for centuries it was not very likely they would crash or slide in his time he became accustomed to all elsie's strange looks and ways old sophie dressed her with ruffles round her neck and hunted up the red coral branch with silver bells which the little toothless dudleys had bitten upon for a hundred years by an infinite effort her father forced himself to become the companion of his child for whom he had such a mingled feeling but whose presence was always a trial to him and often a terror at a cost which no human being could estimate he had done his duty and in some degree reaped his reward elsie grew up with a kind of filial feeling for him such as her nature was capable of she never would obey him that was not to be looked for commands threats punishments were out of the question with her the mere physical effects of crossing her will betrayed themselves in such changes of expression and manner that it would have been senseless to attempt to govern her in any such way leaving her mainly to herself she could be to some extent indirectly influenced not otherwise she called her father dudley as if he had been her brother she ordered everybody and would be ordered by none who could know all these things except the few people of the household what wonder therefore that ignorant and shallow persons laid the blame on her father of those peculiarities which were freely talked about of those darker tendencies which were hinted of in whispers to all this talk so far as it reached him he was supremely indifferent not only with the indifference which all gentlemen feel to the gossip of their inferiors but with a charitable calmness which did not wonder or blame he knew that his position was not simply a difficult but an impossible one and schooled himself to bear his destiny as well as he might and report himself only at headquarters he had grown gentle under this discipline his hair was just beginning to be touched with silver and his expression was that of habitual sadness and anxiety he had no counsellor as we have seen to turn to who did not know either too much or too little he had no heart to rest upon and into which he might unburden himself of the secrets and the sorrows that were aching in his own breast yet he had not allowed himself to run to waste in the long time since he was left alone to his trials and fears he had resisted the seductions which always beset solitary men with restless brains overwrought by depressing agencies he disguised no misery to himself with the lying delusion of wine he sought no sleep from narcotics though he lay with throbbing wide-open eyes through all the weary hours of the night it was understood between dudley venner and old dr kittredge that elsie was a subject of occasional medical observation on account of certain mental peculiarities which might end in a permanent affection of her reason beyond this nothing was said whatever may have been in the mind of either but dudley venner had studied elsie's case in the light of all the books he could find which might do anything towards explaining it 
as in all cases where men meddle with medical science for a special purpose having no previous acquaintance with it his imagination found what it wanted in the books he read and adjusted it to the facts before him so it was he came to cherish those two fancies before alluded to that the ominous birthmark she had carried from infancy might fade and become obliterated and that the age of complete maturity might be signalized by an entire change in her physical and mental state he held these vague hopes as all of us nurse our only half-believed illusions not for the world would he have questioned his sagacious old medical friend as to the probability or possibility of their being true we are very shy of asking questions of those who know enough to destroy with one word the hopes we live on in this life of comparative seclusion to which the father had doomed himself for the sake of his child he had found time for large and varied reading the learned judge thornton confessed himself surprised at the extent of dudley venner's information dr kittredge found that he was in advance of him in the knowledge of recent physiological discoveries he had taken pains to become acquainted with agricultural chemistry and the neighboring farmers owed him some useful hints about the management of their land he renewed his old acquaintance with the classic authors he loved to warm his pulses with homer and calm them down with horace he received all manner of new books and periodicals and gradually gained an interest in the events of passing time yet he remained almost a hermit not absolutely refusing to see his neighbors nor even churlish towards them but on the other hand not cultivating any intimate relations with them he had retired from the world a young man little more than a youth indeed with sentiments and aspirations all of them suddenly extinguished the first had bequeathed him a single huge sorrow the second a single trying duty in due time the anguish had lost something of its poignancy the light of earlier and happier memories had begun to struggle with and to soften its thick darkness and even that duty which he had confronted with such an effort had become an endurable habit at a period of life when many have been living on the capital of their acquired knowledge and their youthful stock of sensibilities until their intellects are really shallower and their hearts emptier than they were at twenty dudley venner was stronger in thought and tenderer in soul than in the first freshness of his youth when he counted but half his present years he had entered that period which marks the decline of men who have ceased growing in knowledge and strength from forty to fifty a man must move upward or the natural falling off in the vigor of life will carry him rapidly downward at this time his inward nature was richer and deeper than in any earlier period of his life if he could only be summoned to action he was capable of noble service if his sympathies could only find an outlet he was never so capable of love as now for his natural affections had been gathering in the course of all these years and the traces of that ineffaceable calamity of his life were softened and partially hidden by new growths of thought and feeling 
as the wreck left by a mountain-slide is covered over by the gentle intrusion of the soft-stemmed herbs which will prepare it for the stronger vegetation that will bring it once more into harmony with the peaceful slopes around it perhaps dudley venner had not gained so much in worldly wisdom as if he had been more in society and less in his study the indulgence with which he treated his nephew was no doubt imprudent a man more in the habit of dealing with men would have been more guarded with a person with dick's questionable story and unquestionable physiognomy but he was singularly unsuspicious and his natural kindness was an additional motive to the wish for introducing some variety into the routine of elsie's life if dudley venner did not know just what he wanted at this period of his life there were a great many people in the town of rockland who thought they did know he had been a widower long enough nigh twenty year wa'n't it he'd been out to sprowl's party there wa'n't anything to hinder him why he shouldn't stir round like other folks what was the reason he didn't go about to town meetings and sabbath meetings and lyceums and school examinations and surprise parties and funerals and other entertainments where the still-faced two-story folks were in the habit of looking round to see if any of the mansion-house gentry were present fact was he was livin too lonesome down there at the mansion-house why shouldn't he make up to the judge's daughter she was genteel enough for him and let's see how old was she seven and twenty no six and twenty born the same year we buried our little annie marl there was no possible objection to this arrangement if the parties interested had seen fit to make it or even to think of it but portia as some of the mansion-house people called her did not happen to awaken the elective affinities of the lonely widower he met her once in a while and said to himself that she was a good specimen of the grand style of woman and then the image came back to him of a woman not quite so large not quite so imperial in her port not quite so incisive in her speech not quite so judicial in her opinions but with two or three more joints in her frame and two or three soft inflections in her voice which for some absurd reason or other drew him to her side and so bewitched him that he told her half his secrets and looked into her eyes all that he could not tell in less time than it would have taken him to discuss the champion paper of the last quarterly with the admirable portia hugh quanto minus how much more was that lost image to him than all it left on earth the study of love is very much like that of meteorology we know just about so much rain will fall in a season but on what particular day it will shower is more than we can tell we know that just about so much love will be made every year in a given population but who will rain his young affections upon the heart of whom is not known except to the astrologers and fortune-tellers and why rain falls as it does and why love is made just as it is are equally puzzling questions the woman a man loves is always his own daughter far more his daughter than the female children born to him by the common law of life 
it is not the outside woman who takes his name that he loves before her image has reached the centre of his consciousness it has passed through fifty many-layered nerve strainers been turned over by ten thousand pulse beats and reacted upon by millions of lateral impulses which bandy it about through the mental spaces as a reflection is sent back and forward in a saloon lined with mirrors with this altered image of the woman before him his pre-existing ideal becomes blended the object of his love is in part the offspring of her legal parents but more of her lover's brain the difference between the real and the ideal objects of love must not exceed a fixed maximum the heart's vision cannot unite them stereoscopically into a single image if the divergence passes certain limits a formidable analogy much in the nature of a proof with very serious consequences which moralists and matchmakers would do well to remember double vision with the eyes of the heart is a dangerous physiological state and may lead to missteps and serious falls whether dudley venner would ever find a breathing image near enough to his ideal one to fill the desolate chamber of his heart or not was very doubtful some gracious and gentle woman whose influence would steal upon him as the first low words of prayer after that interval of silent mental supplication known to one of our simpler forms of public worship gliding into his consciousness without hurting its old griefs herself knowing the chastening of sorrow and subdued into sweet acquiescence with the divine will some such woman as this if heaven should send him such might call him back to the world of happiness from which he seemed for ever exiled he could never again be the young lover who walked through the garden alleys all red with roses in the old dead and buried june of long ago he could never forget the bride of his youth whose image growing phantom-like with the lapse of years hovered over him like a dream while waking and like a reality in dreams but if it might be in god's good providence that this desolate life should come under the influence of human affections once more what an ecstasy of renewed existence was in store for him his life had not all been buried under that narrow ridge of turf with the white stone at its head it seemed so for a while but it was not and could not and ought not to be so his first passion had been a true and pure one there was no spot or stain upon it with all his grief there blended no cruel recollection of any word or look he would wish to forget all those little differences such as young married people with any individual flavor in their characters must have if they are tolerably mated had only added to the music of existence as the lesser discords admitted into some perfect symphony fitly resolved add richness and strength to the whole harmonious movement it was a deep wound that fate had inflicted on him nay it seemed like a mortal one but the weapon was clean and its edge was smooth such wounds must heal with time in healthy natures whatever a false sentiment may say by the wise and beneficent law of our being the recollection of a deep and true affection is rather a divine nourishment for a life to grow strong upon than a poison to destroy it 
dudley venner's habitual sadness could not be laid wholly to his early bereavement it was partly the result of the long struggle between natural affection and duty on one side and the involuntary tendencies these had to overcome on the other between hope and fear so long in conflict that despair itself would have been like an anodyne and he would have slept upon some final catastrophe with the heavy sleep of a bankrupt after his failure is proclaimed alas some new affection might perhaps rekindle the fires of youth in his heart but what power could calm that haggard terror of the parent which rose with every morning sun and watched with every evening star what power save alone that of him who comes bearing the inverted torch and leaving after him only the ashes printed with his footsteps End of chapter twenty